So how's everybody doing today? Okay, that was, that was, yeah. Better, but now it's forced, man, you know. Now, it's good to be with you guys today. Now, uh, we are doing our series, Digging Out. But before we dig into Digging Out, uh, I, I need to create a little space here. I need to take a couple of minutes uh, because if you don't know, I've been sending out videos lately to the church. And uh, the videos have been all about the building and things that we've been facing and challenges. And so like a couple of weeks ago, I sent out a video. I said, hey, we got all these yellow lights, got all the stuff we're dealing with. And to really make it work based on the challenges, we'd have to raise a huge sum of money in a relatively short amount of time. It was like $2.1 million. And so everybody went and played Powerball, right? That's what you did. Hey, you're like, if I win, I can cover the building. Piece of cake, right? So that was cool. Thank you for playing Powerball. Hopefully you won. That'd be great. But I haven't heard anybody yet. So, and then we did a video like a week later. Like, man, something cool happened. We're working with the Assemblies of God. They're willing to actually do this loan. But there's some things we have to accomplish in the process because not all of the numbers align and not all of the runway is there. And so from that, I, I put out this challenge on Wednesday, which is kind of what I want to talk about now. And the challenge was, we're like, hey, we can maybe do this, but we need to raise like $750,000 in seven weeks, right? That's the period we set. So we said, hey, we have to raise that kind of money by October 1st, and if that happens, then we can begin to pull the trigger on a process of, you know, getting the loan finalized and moving toward the building and everything else. And so that was kind of the next, like, hey, if we can see that happen, that kind of gives us a sense of we're meant to do this. We'll step through that door. We can insulate a few years in the meantime of making sure we can manage all of this. If you did not watch that video right now, it's like starting with Star Wars, but with Re Return to the Jedi. Like, you're like, what happened? I don't even know what happened, right? So watch the video if you're not sure what I'm talking about, if you missed it this week. But here's kind of the long story short. We've put this challenge to us as a church in this very truncated amount of time to raise a pretty big sum of money. 750000 in seven weeks. That's the challenge that's before us. But we're a generous body of people, right? And so in the video, I'm like, I think this is something we can do. We've always stepped up in the challenges in times past, and so we put that out on Wednesday, and then within just a few hours, I got some emails from people saying, hey, we wanna really just be a part of this. We wanna really kind of look at what our means are and our capabilities, and we wanna help in any way, and I'm like, that's awesome. Thank you so much for reaching out. And then we saw like the first gift come in toward that, which was about $4,000, and I'm like, this is awesome. This thing is underway. And then our finance director, Reese, got a hold of me and said, hey, I had somebody come forward and they're donating $75,000. And so that was just within like a couple of days of launching this whole thing. And so I'm like, this is fantastic. This is underway. And then I met with a family yesterday and they said, hey, we really believe in this cause. We want to make sure it can get underway. And so we're guaranteeing whatever the church doesn't raise, we will cover the difference. Yeah, no, you should clap. You should clap right? So, and their heart behind this was, we want you to guys to be able to pull the triggers as rapidly as you can, and we want you to have the confidence knowing that you can move forward. And so we signed some stuff with the AG yesterday. We're beginning to move forward on everything, and so dreams become realities when God is doing all the heavy lifting for you. Now, here's why I want to stop and pause, because what I don't want us to do is say, mission accomplished, because hear what they were putting out there in their generosity, Whatever the church doesn't raise will cover the difference. In other words, what we could have done with this is said, okay, we knew in the first 75 hours that the 750,000 would be covered, uh, and, and we don't tell anybody till the end, 
right? But we're like, wait, we, we know this beautiful, gracious, generous truth. Instead of waiting till the end and be like, surprise, we always knew. Instead, we're like, let's share it on the front end. In other words, we could have said, let's make it dollar for dollar matching, and everybody's just kind of doing the matching thing, knowing it's still going to be covered in the end. We would know that truth. But instead, we're like, let's match generosity for generosity. In other words, one of our families has said, we're stepping up in a big way. And there was other families, obviously, we've already seen, stepped up in big ways. And I think it's a great reminder that, hey, I want to be generous like these other persons are being generous so that this family that's willing to do this, you know what I would love in the end? That there's very little really for them to have to make up the difference for in the end because everybody said, I want to be a part of this future. I want to be a part of investing in our future toolbox down on Main Street where we can share the gospel with people and share the spirit of the kingdom and and really make a difference in our city because we're here for the good of our city as we do what we do. And so these are really exciting times and it's a great reminder of, wow, yes, people are generous. I want to be generous too. I want to be a part. I, I was joking with some people, you know what none of us like? Just personally, we don't like it. Personally in our own lives, we don't like freeloaders, Right? We don't want to be the people who are like, I'm going to let them all cover it for me. That's awesome. No, we all go, this is cool. This is exciting. I, I want to participate. I want to be a part. And so here's the thing. I'm encouraging you still over the next seven weeks, participate, be a part, give to this. And anything that goes beyond that number, it's all going to get put right toward the loan. Right? So we're just going to say, this is kind of our rainy day fund to carry us through the next two to three years. And then anything above that, we're just going to put right against the loan because we want to evaporate that as quickly as we can uh, because that really ensures just healthier uh, ministry going forward for years to come. But our desire of we hope to build a building seems like, guess what, people? We're building a building, right? And so... <laughs> super exciting, great teachable moments on how we all want to be a generous people and that God will bless generosity. God uses generosity in our own lives and it's really the generous spirit of people who are Redemption Church that are just grabbing onto this and making it happen. So we got a lot of ground to cover in seven weeks, but it's nice to go, hey, we can start making these decisions. We can start doing things now. So we're waiting on some of the permitting stuff. One permit we were supposed to get at the end of this last week, it didn't come in yet, but that's the site development permit. Then there's some process with the Assemblies of God as far as kind of finishing up the loan part of the process. Uh, and then, man, we just, we're going to keep saying green light, green light, green light to all these yellows and reds that we hit recently. So exciting times. And so normally what I do at this time in the service is I say, hey, I'm going to create some space for you to silently pray and then I'll pray. But I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now, but I'm going to invite you to do something so you remember this particular morning. I'm going to invite you to just stand where you're at. Uh, In other traditions, like our tradition, we sit, we close our eyes, we bow our heads, fold our hands, and we pray. In other global Christian traditions, actually stand, and they actually look up. And you can do that if you want, or you can close your eyes and put your head down. I'm not going to ask too much, but I want us to stand and remember this time where God is providing, things are happening, and we should be incredibly moved and generous and just humbled by this particular time. So let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, Uh, We come to you and we give you all the thanks for this. We thank you that you move in the hearts of people to be generous. We thank you that you call us to be a people of generosity. We thank you against odds that have seemed to be there for years. You've just continued to peel up thing after thing after thing. 
We kept saying, we'll go through every open door you give us. And I admit in my own humanness at times, I thought, oh, there's just a lot of closed doors waiting for us. And you've just done incredible things. And so we thank you. We are humbled by your activity in our midst. We thank you for what you've done with redemption for these last 11 years. And we're excited for the next decade plus of what you're going to do in our city. So help us to be faithful to you. Help, help us to be faith-filled in what we do. Help us to be generous in disposition and gracious in our heart and how we love people well because you love people well, and we want to represent you well. And so thank you for this provision. May we all just, again, grab hold. May we all be a part of this generosity right now. Instead of holding back, we would press in and all the more be moved by the compassion and kindness of others. And so Jesus, we thank you for this day. We give you praise on this day, and we give it all to you in your good and perfect name. And God's people said... Amen. Fantastic. Grab a seat. Thank you so much. Exciting times, man. Remember this day. It's, it's really cool. So I will be sending out another video this week because apparently that's what I do now. And uh, we'll outline some of the stuff and, and we'll do weekly updates, by the way, too. So you'll know what's going on as we go through the process and everything else. Um, but today, today, aside from that, I want to remind us that life is better with Jesus, right? That is our motto as a church. It's my own personal life motto. Doesn't mean I've solved all the mysteries, understand all the problems, answered all of the questions, but I just kind of know at the core at the end of the day, when I do life with Jesus, life is better. And I believe that's uniquely true with the topic of the day, the idea of hurt, of bitterness, of sorrow because of a wound that's been inflicted by somebody else, right? Like all of that is better to navigate in the spirit of and the teaching of Jesus than it is to go without. Now, uh, as you know, so often we have an app and in the app there are notes. And for this series, the notes are designed more to be tools that you can come back and check on time and again. And you can be reminded of some of these things and everything else. And so if you want to follow along in the notes today, that's fantastic. They're there in the app. Also, I want to let you know that there's a new tile in the app that we're pretty excited about, and that is uh, what we hope to do every Sunday at the end of a service is to be like, hey man, if you've not followed Jesus and you want to, we want to know about that. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus, we want to know about that. So there's a tile. So if you make that decision, you can click it and it will send us information so we can connect with you and say, right on, welcome to the family, or how can we help you take the next steps or whatever else. And so it's the I want to follow Jesus tile that lets us know, and you can leverage that today if you'd like. But in that, you can also leverage these notes. And I think the notes are important because here's what I am pretty certain of. Everybody in this room has been hurt. Everybody. It could have come from any number of places. Maybe you're a person that you're like, you know what, when I was a kid, I got bullied a lot, I got picked on a lot, and from that, I've got some real deep insecurities and wounds. Or maybe it was your parents. Right? They were kind of demanding, they were harsh, you could never live up, you could never kind of hit the quotas that they had for your life, and so from that you've got those parental wounds. Or maybe you've been hurt by your kid that's just angry at you, and they resent you, and they let you know how often they really resent you, and that's your wound. Or maybe it's a wound from a best friend that stabbed you in the back, from a boss that didn't look out for you. Maybe it's a wound from the church. Right, where you were abused in some context, in some way, and that's what you're dealing with. Maybe it's just simply the fact that you feel like you live in an intolerant culture that attacks what you believe or what you think or how you live, and from that you have wounds. What I know is that hurt hurts. And hurt so often, it sticks. And in that, it just stays for a while. And so when I think about this topic, I go, man, hurt is hard to navigate, 
It's hard to process. And if we're honest, hurt is difficult to kind of overcome, to deal with in our own authentic lives. And so today, I want to be clear, I don't have any illusions that by the end of the morning, everybody's going to walk out of here and say, wow, Matt healed all my hurts. Woo, finally, after all of that time in my life and all that therapy, it's gone. I don't have any illusions I can do that for you or for me. But what I hope is a couple of things. One is that we can all be a little bit more like, oh, okay, at least my pastor validated the reality of my hurts and didn't make me feel bad for hurting as though now it's kind of my problem to just forgive and be done and move on. Like, I don't want to go down that road necessarily. There's going to be some space where we look at some of that in really important ways, but I don't want to be the thing where it's like, now I feel bad for feeling bad. I, I, I want to go, we all have it. The other thing, though, in this is I hope to give us some tools that we can sort of use throughout life. We'll do it clumsily. We'll do it inconsistently. But using these tools, hopefully revisiting them from time to time in such a way that we mitigate the sense of hurt that we have and we mitigate the potential for deeper hurts as we move forward. That's sort of my heart today. So I'm not anticipating this giant seismic event, but rather something that I hope is bite-sized enough that it's helpful for all of us. And so I want to start in a place that for you is going to be super obvious. We're like, why are we even talking about this? Because we all know this. But, but I think sometimes when you start with an obvious thing, it lets you build because it lets you center the problem a little bit. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first issue that you want to keep in mind is that humans are hardwired for hurt. We are hardwired to this reality, right? And, and here's what I'm getting at with this, right? Um, here's what we know. REM, everybody hurts, right? Everybody cries. Right? We all know it. But here's part of the truth in this idea. Everybody has been hurt. And here's the more painful one. Everybody has hurt somebody else. It's easy sometimes when we're hurt to go, they did this to me, but we tend to forget, oh yeah, I've done that to them, right? My kids have hurt me, right? But you've probably hurt your kids. My spouse has hurt me, right? And you probably hurt your spouse, right? So what we want to do in this is have a certain level of humility in there that acknowledges that this is just the human condition. This will be the thing we struggle with. In fact, in Titus 3, it's not in your notes or whatever, but in Titus 3, 3, it says the condition of people is to hate and be hated, like, we're good at that, which is why then Jesus is wanting us to lean into these upside-down and backwards values because our natural inclination is just to inflict wrong with wrong or wound with wound, and that just goes all the way back to our origin story, right? Remember when Adam and Eve decide, hey, man, we're going to kind of leave the sphere of God's blessing, do our own thing? You know, the ramification of that, it says in chapter 3 of Genesis, is that they're going to kind of want to control one another, He's going to want to dominate her. She's going to want to dominate him. What is that? That's wound for wound, harm for harm, hurt for hurt. That's what happens. And then what happens with their kids? They have two sons. We know that story, right? Bitterness grabs hold, and it becomes an irreparable harm because of that. And when you just keep tracking through the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, you see that just accelerates all those really dark spaces of, like, judges and the kings and everything else, right? It's just hurt for hurt, wound for wound, harm for harm. And Solomon, a guy that was the wisest man who ever lived, but also a man that afflicted a lot of harm, actually, re reflects on this in Ecclesiastes. He's looking at all the tempo of life, 
And he says, I have thought deeply about what goes on here under the sun where people have the power to hurt each other because it's just so meaningless. For all of our talk of unity, of peace, of love, of care, of concern, of neighborliness, we're just really good at this problem. But we're good at it both in how we feel it and how we inflict it. Both of those things are equally true. And so when we're navigating today, I want us to think kind of in both spaces, right? You're, you're working through, yep, I have been really hurt by people. But in that, also work through, yep, I probably hurt some people. Because I think by acknowledging that, what it produces in us is a level of humility. Because sometimes our hurt is like doubly offended. They did this! And we forget we're all too human too. So sometimes by just going, oh yeah, yeah, I've pulled the same stunt. I've inflicted the same damage. It makes me go, so I'm not going to be so resentful maybe toward them. I mean, there's going to be some tough stuff in the world that I can't fully deal with here, but, but even then it can reduce some of the friction, right? That's the hope. Now to get underway with this, I want to acknowledge that our hurts kind of come in layers. There's bubbles of our life. There's spheres of influence that affect us. And so I want to talk about the things that arm our anguish, right? Our anguish gets armored up. It arms up. It wants to sometimes fight or flee or whatever else when we sense those things. And so I want to talk about three different things that kind of get closer and closer to our lives that sometimes inflict the damage that we feel. The first is those outside the bubble of our direct lives, right? Those outside the bubble. So who are those outside the bubble? Well, they're a part of your sphere of life, but they're not close to you in a personal way. So it's that irritating, frustrating neighbor that you're always like feuding with about the property line or something they did in their yard or they never mow or whatever the thing is where the garbage cans were put, any number of things, right? It's like that person. Or your boss that you just, just are always at odds with or a coworker that you're like, oh, it's too bad they're still with the company, right? It's like that kind of person. Oh, oh it might be uh, the woke crowd to your conservative values, right? Where you're like, I'm sick and tired of them. They're ticking me off. Or maybe it's the regressive crowd to your liberal values where you feel like they're trying to control all of your life. Maybe it's those people on social media that you read their stuff and you just want to hit that angry face emoji 10,000 times. Right? It's whatever those persons or parties or platforms where you go, those people over there, they frustrate me. Those people over there, they irritate me. Or as the King James Version says, they are the ones that pisseth me off. Which, for the record, that's really in the King James Version, all right? So, I am not making that up. You can look it up for yourselves later today. But, that's the feel we feel. And here's the thing that's the problem in there. All of that reaction, you ready? It's a self-righteous reaction to our hurt. So, we're hurt, and then our reaction is, uh, I'm better than you in my hurt. And that can be a toxic thing for the heart and the soul, Especially for a people that are supposed to, you know, again, have this sense of generosity and kindness. The, the things we read in our opening verse this morning that, that uh, Amy read to us. It's like, if that's to be our disposition, then this kind of thing is the anti-disposition to what we're supposed to have. And so that's going to be the challenge with those over there. In fact, a great example of this that's just like amped up on roid rage is in Psalm 109. Right? This will give you a sense of like, 
to me, it's funny. I, I read it and I laugh, right? So there's a guy, he's frustrated. And he says, the wicked, they slander me and they tell lies about me. They surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason, right? So he's praying to God here. He's going to God with this frustration of some person or persons. And so of this person, he says, God, when his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. Woo, steamy, right? But it goes further. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all that he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die. May his family be blotted out from the next generation. What do you really feel inside, boss? Right? But, but, but I love this because what it re- reveals to us is something we've all heard. Hurt people hurt people, right? And so when you have this attitude of self-righteous condemnation of those who have somehow hurt you, you may not call it hurt, you may just call it, I'm just angry at them. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated by what they say or do. But, but in that, you, you sort of get this disposition where you're better than, and you want them to suffer. They've made you suffer, so you want them to suffer in like turn. See, that's a toxin, for us, that we, we don't want to inhabit that space, but that's for those out there. But what do you do with the next layer, those inside the bubble of our direct lives? See, that's the one where it gets way more tender. That's the one where, again, you had that friend, and you were really tight, and then something happens, and you feel like they're against you, and you're really wounded by that. Or it's your son or your daughter who are saying things and doing things that just wound your soul. Or it's you as a child and your parent just keeps riding you and just keeps letting you know you don't align with what they think is best for you and it just rubs you raw. A confidant where you shared something and then they shared what you shared with others. Right? Or or maybe it's your church, your pastor, whatever else where you trusted and then they, they soiled that trust. See, that kind of wound is different because it is profoundly personal. Strikes right to the core of your person. See, we see this kind of thing in Psalm 55. We actually looked at this psalm last week. Remember, the writer says, Please listen and answer me, for I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies, they shout at me. They make loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me. They're angry and they're hunting me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelms me. I can't stop shaking. Remember that whole ordeal with this person? Well, then you find out why it's so deep and so painful. He says, it's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you. We don't know who the you is per, per, for certain. This is, but it is you, my equal, my companion, and my close friend. Right, this is why I like the psalms sometimes, because they just get to the rawness of life. And when we look at the psalm, there's speculation, but we wonder if it's either David's son or one of David's most trusted generals that has betrayed him. And that is the hardest hurt to heal from. In fact, I'll I'll be open with you. I think there are times where we will get hurts from the people that we love the most, because that's the weirdest part. We tend to hurt the people we love the most, and we tend to be hurt by the people that love us the most. And in those spaces, when you get really deeply hurt, you may never quite heal. Just for the record. 
it might kind of close up and then something happens and it reopens and you have to deal with it. Uh, there were hurts to my life that, that spanned my entire life, all through adulthood, right? And they would go away and then something happened and they'd kind of reemerge. And you just have to kind of tend to the wound. That's sometimes what you have to do. Other times you'll get a wound and it will heal, but it leaves a scar or it leaves a limp. Right? It sort of marks you in a certain kind of way, both for good and maybe for bad at times. At least that's the way it's going to feel. But those are the toughest ones in life to deal with because they run the deepest. Perhaps it makes the third heart hurt that we're going to look at most challenging. And the third hurt can come from God, which is weird to say in church. But for people, God can be the one who directly can bring hurt into their lives because he is the one that is closest to their lives. Now, again, I know for some people, they'd be like, whoa, can you really say that, that God can be the source of our hurts? Well, I, I think it's true. I'll try to build the case in a second, but, but when I talk to people, being a pastor for a long time, being a Christian myself, I know there's times like that. Now, this hurt comes on a spectrum, right? I think we have a graphic for this, right? Should be like a little arrow with different words on it. We'll find out here. Oh, not that graphic. That one right there, hurt by God. Right? For some of us, we may hurt, and, and we're struggling through our faith. For others, it may be kind of stormy, right? And then for others, it's just skeptical. You know, they're looking and going, uh, God, you didn't show up. God, you seem indifferent. Why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do good things, or why do bad things happen to good people? And then good things happen to bad people? That seems so unfair. Uh, you know, any number of things. I've prayed really good things, and you haven't answered my really good prayers. And so from that, they go, does he care? If anything, I think he's inflicting me. And so he's hurting me, and I'm struggling with him because I feel hurt by God. If you've ever been in that space, I, I want to let you know, just as we did with last week, I'm going to let you know you're in good company with people who have felt hurt by God. And I don't mean like I'm anecdotally using examples. I, I mean examples from the Bible. Job, he's struggling in chapter 9. He says, so who am I that I should try to answer God or even reason with him? for all the bad stuff that's happening in his life. Even if I were right, I would have no defense. I could only plead for mercy. In other words, you're up against the most powerful being there is. You're not gonna win. Even if you're right, you won't win. That's his frustration. He says, for he, God, attacks me with a storm and repeatedly wounds me without cause. He will not let me catch my breath, but fills me instead with bitter sorrow. He's like, I don't get it. I'm a righteous man. I haven't done anything wrong and everything bad is happening to me. And so he's struggling with God. He's hurt by God. And he says, man, God just keeps afflicting me with bitter sorrow. That's raw. That's honest. That's how he feels. Last year we did the book of Ruth. Remember Naomi? Her name was Sweet. She says, well, now call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Lord Almighty, he has made me very bitter. He has caused me to suffer. And he sent tragedy into my life. Or Jeremiah, the great prophet, in Lamentations. He says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into the darkness, shutting out all the light. He has turned his hand against me again all day long. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. Now, here's why these three examples I think are important. They're not a bunch of flakes that were going down some crazy road of reckless sin, and from that they get spanked by God and they're bitter. These are faithful people. These are godly people. These are people seeking to do the right thing. I mean, Job just tells us, the story of Job tells us, he is a righteous man in God's eyes when everything falls apart. 
And in part, everything falls apart to prove that he's a righteous man apart from what God has done for him, which seems very betraying in the moment, right? So what I appreciate about all of that is that they all had to wrestle with hurt. And so it's across the board, right? If we see the hurt issue as like these different spheres or circles, the closer it gets to you, the more painful the hurt will be. If it's those out there, whatever. But those right here, it's tougher. And sometimes really in here, particularly with us and God, it can be incredibly challenging. So from that, we want to focus on healing the wounds that hurt, right? Which again, I think is a process, it's a journey for sure, right? And I think where this begins, if we're really going to begin to assertively try to deal with this, is that we just have to be clear on what it is we're dealing with. In other words, we need to call it what it is. So, in your notes, acknowledge what you're feeling is actually hurt. Just tell yourself, all this stuff that I'm sensing, that's actually what I'm really trying to address. Because here's the thing, we're awesome at trying to cover up our feelings with different kinds of feelings that justify ourselves. So, you may be hurt, but instead you say, I'm offended. You're hurt, but what you say is, I'm angry. Or you're hurt, and what you say is, well, they're wrong. And it puts the focus on their problem and their issue. But really what we need to do, it may be their problem. They may, they may have created the hurt. But instead what you need to do is like, I can't control them. Instead, I can't focus on them about this. I need to focus on me instead and get to the real core, which is what they've done is created in me sadness. What it's created in me is a wound. What it's created in me is bitterness. And if I get really bitter, they're probably happy because they probably wanted to hurt me in the process. Right? So it's only doing double damage. So the key here isn't to justify what we feel, but rather to clarify and identify what we feel so we can address it in a really potent way. Because if we don't, we'll weaponize it over the course of time. And, and part of the weaponizing, it's going to do one of two things. You're either going to camp on all of that stuff instead of saying, I'm hurt. Instead, you're going to say, I'm justified. I need to vindicate. And you will then weaponize it against those who have hurt you. So you're just going to try to return hurt for hurt. Right? Tit for tat, that's the way we'll tend to operate sometimes. But the problem there is, A, you're just going to inflict more damage on others, and B, frankly, you're putting yourself in a little internal prison in the process. You're only going to hurt yourself, right, if you keep them in that space. So instead, we're better to be honest with ourselves. In fact, in Psalm 73, it's this great psalm, right? I love the psalms for this reason. It's a person working through this process, they say, truly God is good to Israel, those who, are, who have hearts that are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. This person says, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live in such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with the problems like everyone else. So at first you start this off and you're like, it doesn't sound like they have a problem with these people. If anything, they have like a fanboy issue. Man, I'm loving the rich and infamous. These people are getting by, and I'm not. But then it goes further. They wear their pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. Hmm. Now we're starting to see how he feels about people. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words, are they just strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. So initially it sounds like you want 
to be like them. You envied them in a good way, but now you're realizing, no, this is envy of a toxic nature where there's a certain level of, I resent that you have what I don't have, right? So it's starting to shift, right? But, but we can see as the reader, like, all of this seems like a bad idea, right? You're getting resentment about wicked people. And then verse 12, look at these wicked people. Enjoy the life of ease with all their riches as they multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I not keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Here's what I love about this. I did the right thing. I obeyed the rules. I pleased God. I was a good person, and I'm getting screwed for being a good person. That's what they're really wrestling with. While the wicked, they're opulent, they're healthy, they're having the best life ever, they're bitter. The good news is, they finally realize it themselves, verse 21, but then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside, and I was foolish and ignorant. See, what I love about that story is a lot of the Psalms are these, like, these little traveling bits. And so it starts with, oh, I kind of envy them. No, actually, I resent them. No, actually, the problem isn't them at all. It's me. I'm bitter. That's good. Because we tend to not always get to that final step of, oh, no, it's me. I'm bitter. It's no, it's them. It's my parents. It's my kids. It's my boss. It's my friend. It's my church. It's whatever. It's them. Well, maybe them, but you can do something with them so that you don't become like this and become bitter. What this means, in part, is the next thing you know, it's avoid the things and the people, especially the people. Avoid the things and the people that tend to fuel your frustration. Book of Leviticus. I know a lot of us skip that in our annual Bible read, but it's one of my favorites. And in the middle of Leviticus is the golden rule, one of the key commands for all of us to love your neighbor as yourself. But I love in Leviticus, it builds it out with a little bit more beauty. It says, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Done, <laughs> right? Like, just stop there. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Imagine if we all did that. Confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sins. In other words, work it out with them. Don't talk behind their back. Don't tell other people about how stupid they are. He says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I love that because by the time we get to love your neighbor, we know what it means. Oh, yeah, I can't nurse hatred. I can't have revenge of spirit. I can't bear a grudge. Later in the New Testament, Paul says, get rid of, ditch, flee, all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. In other words, just don't stoke the fires of your frustration. That's the key. Now, it isn't to say wounds aren't real and don't hurt. They do. They are, right? But don't keep picking at the scab. Don't sit around with your friends and be like, remember how they all screwed me over? <sighs> Remember how they did that? Remember how terrible they are? Remember how everybody's stupid? You just keep pulling at the scab? Don't do that, man. Do yourself a favor. Try to rid yourself of those things. Because again, when you do that, it only hurts you and it hurts the people around you. What that means is you can't just stop. You've got to replace it with something. So that's the next thing in your notes. Instead, pursue the things that can help soothe the burns of bitterness. Do the things that can soothe the burns of bitterness. I'm not saying it's going to get rid of it, but it can soothe it, right? I'm going to give you these ideas, and they're not, like, they're not like pieces that you put together. It's not like a formula. You do these five things, and it's all fixed, but rather it's kind of modular. You kind of use it, and you realize that this is a journey that you're undertaking. It's not just some simple formula that you can implement, and everything's cool. But with this, I think these are helpful things. They've been helpful for me. The first thing there 
is work toward wisdom over vindication. Work toward wisdom over vindication. So in other words, your goal when you get hurt, more than being justified, heard, uh, maybe being right or understood or best of all, being avenged, more than having those as your goals, make sure that you want to be wise in relationship to your words. Ecclesiastes 7 says this, do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of a fool. Right? You get yourself there because you're hurt. You're going to stay there and it's going to get worse. I remember I was uh, going into a church and uh, it was my first week as a pastor there and my predecessor called me in my first week, right? So I'd come in, they'd left and they called me and within seven seconds was chewing me out. Just chewing me out. I don't even know this person. Never talked to him in my life, right? And they're just going off and they're angry and they're frustrated. And, the, and, and ultimately why they're angry is when they left the church, they were hurt and bitter at the church and they were hoping the church would die and they wouldn't bring anybody else in and they would get their vengeance. And so they're going off on all this stuff and finally at some point, as they're telling me, you just need to do this and do this. And if I told you what they told me to do, you would actually be like, we want to fire Matt simply that he said it out loud on a Sunday. Like, it was really terrible stuff. And I finally said, dude, you're just bitter. You're just bitter. And he goes, maybe I am. What's it to you? I'm like, you called me, right? Like, I didn't call you. But the most amazing thing is here's a person that's been to seminary, Bible educated, been a pastor, and is telling me terrible things, fully feeling justified in what they're saying. Like, oh, what you just said isn't completely atrocious. They're like, don't you see my point? That's where anger lodged in the heart can take you. You can say reckless, destructive things, and you think you're right, right? That is folly. That is not wisdom, right? We want to be wise. Proverbs chapter 12. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. You might look at that and say, yeah, I need to be around people that give me wise words, but here's what's more important than that. You need to be the kind of person that feeds yourself wise words too, Right? Because you can get in that moment where you got that person that's hurt you and you're like, and I would tell them this and I would tell them that and I've got the catalog of how they suck and da 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 da, da all that stuff in your head. And instead you've got to stop and be like, oh, those are probably not the words to feed myself. Those are not wise words. Those are destructive words. Because if you do that, it's going to help with the next one. The second thing, do the opposite of what you feel like doing when you're hurt. Right? I remember I, I just read the passage, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, so replacement. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So everything you feel like doing, go, what is the opposite of that thing? And do that thing. That's going to be a lot better. So I want to chew them out. I want to unfriend them. I want to let them know they are just an awful person, whatever. Don't do that thing. Right? Do it different. Now, you're not doing this opposite. In other words, you're doing the kind, gracious, compassionate thing because they are so worthy of you doing that. That's not the motive. The motive is Jesus is worthy of you doing that because he did it for you. And for me, that's why we do it. We don't do it because somehow it's like, oh, they've earned it. No, but Jesus earned something for us that we couldn't earn for ourselves and we want to duplicate what he did for us and so we do this for others. Right? Whether they even ask or not. I know some people get into that. Well, what if they don't ask for my forgiveness? Do I have to be forgiving? It really helps you out. So do the opposite of what you want to do. Don't retaliate, but be generous. Third, this is a great one. If somebody's really hurt you, really just chapped your hide, whatever that quite means. Treat those who have hurt you, ready? As your enemy. 
I want you to treat him as an enemy. So the bigger the offense, the higher up on the FBI top 10 most wanted list, right? So if it's that knucklehead sister of yours that blew up the family over mom and dad's will, right? And the family hasn't talked for 15 years because that happened. Like that person, that's your chief enemy in your life. Well, man, put them at the top of the list to treat them like an enemy according to Jesus because life is better with him. Jesus says, but to those who are willing to listen, which is tough because not always we want to, I say love your enemy. So treat them as an enemy, which means you love them. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Do as to others as you would want them to do unto you. Now, if you're the kind of person that says, well, I want people to punch me in the face. Okay, that's a broken thing, man, right? But if you're like, no, I make mistakes and I hope people will be generous with me. Well, then be generous with them because this is really the definition of what it means to love our enemies. Now, is this prospect easy? Not at all, but it blesses. And I can tell you that as a user of this, right? So there was a time, uh, for those who were part of the history of this, that I had a pretty serious issue with the denomination that we were once a part of, and for a concerted effort for a long time, they wrote a lot of interesting things about me, they said a lot of interesting things about me, they, they tried to do a lot of interesting things in relationship to me, and for that entire time, this was my motto verse that I tried to live. So I'm going to pray for them every day, and when I see them, I'm going to do good to them, and I'm going to pray, pray that God blesses them, and I'm going to try to bless them as they do what I do. And then there was times where it was like, wow, they just said you're a horrible, heinous person that needs to be removed. I'm like, I'm still going to love them, bless them, pray for them. Like, I'm going to do that. And some days are really, really hard. But I remember after everything was said and done, like a year after, I remember waking up one day going, I've got no ill will toward them whatsoever. Like, it was really cool. Like, they inflicted deep wounds, but I just wasn't wounded in the end of it all. And I think that's the blessing God gives. This is why life is better for Jesus. When you do it his way, it's going to be better. Or you're going to heal faster. Or it might be a little bit easier. I think this is also true if you've been hurt by God. If you feel like God's hurt me, he let me down, he's indifferent to my plight, you're better to be talking it out with him. You're better to be staying in that pocket of doing good and blessing and praying. Because I believe it's in that space that God really reclaims these things. So we do that. Fourth, work toward mindful forgiveness. And mindful is the key. Because here's what I know. The Bible tells us, right? Forgive, not just seven times, but 70 times. Jesus also said, hey, if the Father forgives you, you need to forgive. And if you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. Colossians chapter 3, forgive because the Lord has forgiven you. So you do this in other people's lives. Forgiveness is what we're called to do. But my concern sometimes is that if you've been hurt, what you hear from the church is, well, you need to forgive those who have hurt you. And here's where it gets a little sticky. And if you don't forgive, your sin of not forgiving is worse than the sin that was committed against you that you need to work through forgiveness for. That gets a little broken because sometimes the sins against us are far worse than our struggle to forgive. So I, I don't want to make it sound like, hey man, the problem's on you. If they said forgive me and you don't, now you're the worst sinner. That's not my heart here. That could be the case, but I'm not saying it automatically is the case. This is why what I'm advocating for here is saying, you know what? You need to have mindful forgiveness. And what I mean by mindful forgiveness, and this is going to sound strange too, don't forgive too quickly. Don't forgive too quickly. Now, if you walk out of here and say, Matt says they don't have to forgive. Matt didn't say that. What Matt said is don't forgive too quickly. In other words, you need to work through a process of your, your hurt and therefore how you forgive. There's a great little book called Don't Forgive Too Soon. Extending the two hands that heal. Can I tell you what's great about this book? Lots of pictures, all right? So 
Lots of fun little comic-y things, and it's brilliant. And the reason it's brilliant, so anybody that goes, I struggle with forgiveness, I'm encouraging you to pick up the book. The link to Amazon is in the, uh, the actual notes there. But the reason I'm, I'm stressing this is because what they do with forgiveness is they, they take the idea of grief and they move in that direction. So you know the five stages of grief? Well, this is the five stages of forgiveness, and they're the same. They're the same. And so it just walks you, you have to process through that. But the beauty is if you process through it, then realistically your forgiveness is gonna stick. In other words, it's not gonna be like, okay, I forgave them because the Bible tells me to, and now I'm back over here bitter, but I'm doubly mad now because I forgave them. And now I'm left to work through it on my own. No, it gives you a journey to process through and try to deal with those hurts so that you can work them through so you can have honest forgiveness in the end. And then last, this is simple. Embrace the power of tolerance. Embrace the power of tolerance. It's sad that it's become a weaponized word in our culture, right? Or it's become like, oh, tolerance is a bad thing. No, tolerance is a beautiful thing. Because tolerance recognizes we're all human. I understand that. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to give you some grace in the midst of that. That's the spirit of tolerance. I think that's what I see in Jesus on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. Like, they're clueless. And so, Father, show them mercy. I see the same idea in Romans chapter 2. I love Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 because it kind of haunts us in a little bit of a way. So Romans 1, Paul says, listen, here's the deal. The Gentiles that don't believe, they got this list of sins. It's a mile long. They do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And when you read that list, you go, yep, that's the sin problem. And Paul goes, right, that's what you're going to say as a religious person. Therefore, I wrote chapter 2 for the sins of the religious people. And then he gives chapter two about how religious people can look at non-religious people or, you know, believing people can look at disbelieving people and go, they're so sinful. And he goes, right, but you've got the same problems. And so chapter two starts. And he says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others, you do the same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. So he's like, God's not partial here. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And then he says this beautiful thing. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Doesn't this mean anything to you? Can't you see that kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? I think it's the same with us toward others that have hurt us. Kindness will hopefully turn them from their sins. Having tolerance to their weaknesses is going to be far better than trying to hold them accountable for every one of the hurts that we have. And so I'm pitching a very simple idea. It's a brand new hat idea I've come out with. We want to make tolerance great again, all right? And it's purple on purpose, all right? So make tolerance great again because it's helpful. Proverbs 19, 11, I close with this. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrong. See, that should be the heart of us as Christians. That should be the heart of the church. And I think that is the heart that heals the best from hurt. Now, right now, I want to invite you to just simply bow your heads and close your eyes. And as you do, again, I always say there's different kinds of people in the room. And there may be some in the room or some watching online where you go, you know what? I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower. But I've been plenty hurt. And I like this idea that God can help me heal my hurts. And, and, and maybe even like I felt hurt by God, but I realized that this is more something in me than something with him. And I want him to help me heal that too and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but you want to be, we're very excited about that. And that's a prayer way where you say, God, I've rebelled, I've sinned, I've done my own thing, gone my own way, and I want to go your way. I want life to be better with you, Jesus, and live the way that you've called me to live because you died and rose so that I could have that life. If you make that your prayer in your words, he hears you, he brings you into the family, right? 
That would be awesome. And I would love to know about that. Like I said, there's a tile in the app, or when you raise your head up, you're going to see a, a slide on the screen that has a, a number that you can text, a simple text to. We just want to know so we can say, hey, welcome to the family. Awesome. Maybe some of us go, man, I've just not been doing well spiritually, and I want to get reestablished back on track. Use the same text or same tile to let us know. Jesus, we look to you to help us, to guide us, to strengthen us in this thing. We've all been wounded. We've all passed out wounds. We're all too human, but you are good. You are God. You are divine. You are gracious, and you empower us to be better versions of us because it's mirroring you, the perfect version of humanity. Help us to be what you want us to be in the name that is great for all of these things. Your name, Jesus. We thank you in your good name. Amen.